If you have your Bibles with you this morning, um, please turn to Philippians. Book of Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 13 and 14 primarily. Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on. Let us pray. Father in heaven, Lord, let the meditations of my heart and the words that come out of my mouth be acceptable in your sight. For you are my rock and my redeemer. Father, this morning, let us learn from your apostle Paul. Let us learn those things that you'd have us to learn, Lord. And then let us not learn in vain, but let us, but let the truth, Father, of your words, let the truth of your words, Lord, dwell in our hearts and then become the direction of our lives. Amen. Um, the Apostle Paul, as most of you know, uh, was God's chosen evangelist to the non-Jewish world. Paul started the church in Philippi somewhere around 48 to 50 AD. Uh, this was Paul's very first church. And this church actually gathered in Lydia's home. Lydia was Paul's first convert. Um, Lydia was pretty well off. She was a premier seller of purple cloth. She had a, a spacious house in Philippi. And after Paul led her to Christ, immediately she offered up her home as a meeting, pla a meeting place for Paul and for all the other believers. So Paul had a really, really close relationship with Lydia. In fact, Paul had a really close relationship with all of the believers in Philippi. Um, they were like us. They were, they were family. They had a special place in his heart. But now, at the time of writing this letter, it's about 10 or 12 years later, Paul is no longer preaching in the different communities um, around Philippi, but he's actually he's, he's in prison, and um, he's just received a gift from this Philippian congregation, and he receives this gift by the way of Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was a disciple of Paul's, and Epaphroditus was also a part of the congregation of Philippi. So this letter was Paul's response to that gift, but it was, it was more than that. Um, it was a heartfelt letter from him to encourage them to remember the gospel as he had taught them, and then to live lives true to the gospel. One of the really difficult things that Paul was experiencing at this time is he loved these people. But when Epaphroditus brought him this gift, and the gift was most likely money uh, for him to continue the ministry that he had while he was in prison. Of course, in speaking with Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus told Paul about some of the real difficulties going on in Philippi. Um, a lot of persecution in the church. Um, they lived in an area where they were under Roman rule. 
And we know what that was like, right, from our Revelation class. Um, really tough, living under the Romans. Romans. But even, even of greater stress to Paul was the fact that he'd heard that there was a perversion of the gospel that was being spread out to the church of Philippi and to all the churches in the, in the region. There's a perversion in the gospel that's being spread by some people that Paul referred to as Judaizers. These Judaizers infiltrated uh, the church gatherings, uh, proposed to be uh, believers, but what they really sought to do was to distort the gospel by advocating strict adherence to the Mosaic law, to the law's rites, to the law's rituals, to all the rules of the law. And so the Judaizers were Jews that professed to be Christians, but they insisted that these new Gentile converts become Jews first before they can really be saved, before they can call themselves Christian. Um, when Paul had been preaching in the region earlier than that, these Judaizers would follow Paul around. And after he had preached with one little group and went on to another, they would come in behind Paul and uh, they would become part of that little group and they would say things like, um, boy, that Paul really preaches an interesting message, doesn't he? You know this Jesus uh, that he preaches about? Jesus is a great start. But you know there's a lot more to it than that. Jesus is just a starting point. If you really want to be part of God's family, if you really want to be part of God's kingdom, there's more to it than that. Listen, we've been God's chosen people for a long time. And if you want to belong to God the way Paul says you should belong to God, you need to take it a few steps further than just believing in Jesus. You need to be obedient to the covenant that we have with God. You need to be circumcised. Because this outward mark is crucial for all of you to be set apart for God. So now because Philippi was primarily in a Gentile city, part of a Roman province, most of the Christians there were Gentiles. And these, uh, these Judaizers insisted that these numerous Gentile converts start their Christian walk rather painfully, you see. They needed to be circumcised, and they needed to adhere to all the Jewish traditions. I think Paul was ticked. And so in addressing this heresy, Paul points out that the gospel that he first preached to them was the only true gospel by which man may be saved. He points out that salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ alone, that no human rite or ritual supersedes that in any way, shape, or form. Paul asserts that any teaching contrary to the gospel that he preached to them originally is damnable. So what I'd like to do is um, go back and start with verse 1, and we'll kind of get an idea uh, for the urgency in, in Paul's message, for the urgency for his concern. So look at verse 1. In verse 1, Paul says, Finally, my brothers, 
um, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to use no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. Rejoice in the Lord. They were having a lot of difficulty with um, the persecution in the church. Life was tough, and yet Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Well, Philippians has the word joy, or a derivative of that word, 13 times. And so Paul is talking about a joy that comes not from something that's based on the circumstances, but it's based upon um, what you have in your heart. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Things are tough, right, but rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble for me. He's talking about the gospel that he first preached to them. If I need to remind you over and over, that's great. Willing to do that. And by the way, it's a safeguard for you, right? And then he gets right down into it. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who would mutilate the flesh. Look out for those Jews who cling to the flesh while rejecting Jesus as the only way to a righteous standing before the Father. Look out for those who insist that all Jewish rites need to be carried out in addition to faith. And then we have pretty, pretty harsh words on Paul's parts. He, he calls them dogs, and he calls them evildoers. And that's really interesting because the Jews used to refer to the Gentiles as dogs. And, and that was actually a reference to the wild dogs that used to run the streets and feed on the refuse. It was a derogatory term used by the Jews to label the Gentiles as a dirty people, a second-class citizen type of people. But here Paul uses that term to describe those Jews who sought to mislead the new Christians. They were evildoers, Paul said. They were being used of Satan. And after all, everything's at stake here. Paul knew that. Salvation's by faith. Salvation's by faith in Jesus Christ and nothing less. Faith isn't by works of any kind. And anything that would have you believe otherwise, it's damning. And the reason it's damning is because the faith that takes the focus off of Jesus and his absolute final and perfect work on the cross and instead places it on the focus of men, how many times I've gone to church, how I pray, how I dress, my standing in the community, anything that places, places that focus on the man is corrupt. Verse 3, Paul says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Paul says that we, meaning he and his disciples, we are the true recipients of that covenant with God. We who have been circumcised spiritually because we've cut off the power of the flesh in our lives. We've cut off that carnal influence in life. We've not put our trust in any kind of religious criteria, but we've put our trust in Jesus. Jesus, the risen Savior. Not in outward rituals, 
But instead, we've given ourselves over to that great commandment to love God with all our hearts and to love our fellow man. We follow Christ in obedience. We sacrifice everything for him. He's a savior of all men. And Paul says as we have been set apart spiritually, we're indwelled by the Holy Ghost. We have hearts of flesh proving that we love God more than all of this religious piety. And so it's we, Paul says, who've been separated from our old nature. Truly it's we who are the true recipients of a covenant with God, you see. But then he, he adds in verse 4, he says, well, you know, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh alone. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. You know, if it were these outward observances to all these rituals that mattered, Paul says, well, I'd be above you all. I'd be at the top of the heap because I have all people. I've been totally immersed in the law and the demands of the law. And then Paul goes on to list all of those Jewish credentials. Look at number five. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. That's in accordance with the law of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He had pristine bloodlines. He says, as to the law, I was a Pharisee. Paul was highly esteemed. He was in perfect standing. He had great heritage, and he had pure commitment. Look at 6. Verse 6, he says, as to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. So, not only did Paul adhere to all the Jewish requirements in fulfilling the law perfectly, but he possessed the zeal to defend that stature of his faith against any and all thoughts that were opposed to that faith. And in this case, that was Christianity, right? Christianity was in conflict with the law. And so Paul was determined to destroy Christianity by any means necessary, even if that meant destroying all of its followers. That is, until he met Jesus. Jesus, who loved him. And Paul says then, he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So when Paul came face to face, so to speak, with Jesus on the road to Damascus, he, uh, he realized then that all his Jewish credentials, all that that he possessed were of little value at all. Paul called them rubbish, which is more accurately interpreted as dung. Paul said all that stuff is dung. And so Paul gave up his standing in Jewishdom in order to know the only God, the only Savior, Jesus Christ. And he presented his life as a spiritual sacrifice to God that he might gain life eternal, that he might have life in Jesus, that he might have the only life 
worth living. So he left that standing that he had in the Jewish world in order to gain that which excelled. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So Paul says, I'm not found having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. It's a righteousness from God that depends on faith. It's that righteousness that allows me to know the power of his resurrection, to share in his sufferings. So personally in his heart, knowing Jesus, not just knowing Jesus um, with head knowledge, but knowing Jesus through faith and by faith firsthand, the power of a resurrected Savior, and then having a value of that, uh, of a commitment to that faith, a faith that demands allegiance, not just in word, but lived out in your life. Verse 11, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Now remember, Paul's in prison at the time of this writing. He's in prison, uh, he's in prison and uh, he knows, he knows that there's still a life to be lived in obedience to God for him. He's not everything that he's going to be yet. And he's preaching the gospel uh, to the cellmates. He's preaching the gospel to the guards. Gospel is spreading outside of the prison, spreading into the homes of the guards, into the palace. And God's being glorified. And in prison, Paul's laying it all on the line in honoring Jesus. Why? Well, because Jesus laid it all on the line for him. Paul says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made up my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is really important. Leaving the past behind. So many of us fail to do that. But we have to do that. We have to, you see, because if you don't leave the past behind, I guarantee you, Satan is going to be there. He's going to remind you just how unworthy you are. He's going to bring up every past mistake you've made in your life. He's going to remind you of just how pathetic you really are. He's going to tell you, you're never going to mount to anything. You're a phony. You might as well give up. Why? Well, it's hopeless. You can't do it. I'm sure Satan told Paul the same thing. I mean, look at the life of Paul. He suffered so much. He suffered so much. But Paul knew 
that he was called to persevere in the faith. We're all called to persevere in the faith, right? They were living in tremendous persecution. But they were all called to persevere in the faith. That's all of, all of us are called to do. We're called to walk gloriously in Jesus. It's not going to be without an effort. Circumstances can be tough. We know that, right? We've had circumstances that make us doubt ourselves. Paul referred to it as being a strain. But in the end, Paul says it's going to be so victorious because a prize awaits us. In verse 14 he says, he calls it for the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So then he says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if, anything you, if, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. And so as we know Jesus more and more, as we mature in our faith, you know, and that comes from listening to Pastor Paul preach, from reading your Bible, from having prayer time, going to Bible studies, whatever that is, as you mature in your faith, you're going to develop this mindset. The Holy Spirit's going to teach you all things. Paul says if there's an area where you might have doubt, you might have confusion, Paul says don't worry about that because God will reveal the truth and that to you as well. Here's the key. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Verse 16. And this is really important for us as well because we're accountable to God to live what we know. You know, as we mature, we're going we're gonna to know more. God's going to reveal more. The Holy Spirit's going to teach us more. But what we know right now, we're required. We're required to adhere to that. Because God's not going to expect you to, learn, to run until you've learned how to walk. But once you've been walking, you're expected to learn how to run. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. So here, just as in uh, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And now Paul's saying that to us again. He says, follow me and follow my example of living for Jesus. And this is great. He says, and watch the other Christians as well. Watch them. You know, just like kids that when they're young, they, they imitate their parents because they want so badly to be adults, right? Paul's telling us to follow suit. He says, watch those who have come to Jesus before you. Learn from them. For many of whom I have often told you and, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul's talking about perseverance in the faith. He's talking about enduring till the end. 
He's talking about maintaining the faith that we first believed and received. He's talking about maintaining that faith and faith and, and not giving up when life gets difficult. Life will get difficult. Stand up. Be counted for Christ. How do we do that? Well, for one thing, it's kind of about not loving your own life, but loving Jesus to the point that you'll be obedient to him. It's about being in partnership with God, right? Kind of like Paul. Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul says to do otherwise is to become enemies of the cross. Enemies of the cross. Verse 19, he says, their end is destruction because God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. So those that deny Jesus, you know, he's talking about uh, the Judaizers. They deny that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. They add all this other stuff. They insist that all rules, laws, ordinances are necessary in order for one to gain citizenship into heaven. They negate Jesus' crucifixion death on the cross. They negate his resurrection that way. They insist on regulations and eating and drinking as being some kind of spiritual benefit. They place all that earthly religious stuff above a personal relationship with Jesus. And Paul says that kind of thinking. That insistence will lead to their destruction. It is damning. It's outside of Christ. Eventually, Jesus will say to them, I never knew you. But then in verse 20, Paul kinds of turns, turns it back to his family. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Paul's telling us we're going to be transformed completely. You know, we've been instructed to be in the process of transformation now, right? I mean, in 12, 1, uh, Romans 12.1, Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But someday we're going to be totally transformed in every way. Because we'll, we will see him and we'll become like him. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we're God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Because Jesus has that kind of power. He has that kind of power. In him and by him were all things created. By him all things hold together. Colossians 1, 16. Jesus is the name above all names. He above, he's above all religious adornments. 
He's our high priest. He sits at the right hand of God. He's our advocate. 1 John 2, 1 says, if we sin, we have an advocate before the Father, Jesus. He's the most supreme defense attorney who's ever existed. He intercedes for us every day. And trust me, he has never, ever lost a case. So, now we get down to our focus this morning, verses 13 and 14. Again, he says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Today, for you and I, here lies two of the biggest dangers of the day for all men. Number one, failing to leave that old life behind. And secondly, thinking that religion can save you. Failing to empty the mind of all that stuff that Satan is going to constantly throw in your face with the words, you're not worthy. Taking that and allowing that stuff to determine the quality of your Christian walk. Man, that is crippling. That is crippling. Paul had regrets. You know, for one, his, his persecution of the early Christian church. That had to be really difficult to think about. But he also had a lot of traits in his life, a lot of really admirable aspects to his life. And he chose to leave those behind as well. Because clinging to either one, either the sins or the pains of the past, or all that stuff that you take pride in, either one is going to be crippling. It will disrupt your efforts to walk as Christ has called you to walk. Jesus himself said, he who will lose his life for my sake will save it. Matthew 10, 39. Leaving that old life behind. I press on. Thinking religion can save you? Man, we have a lot of that. And religion, religion will damn you to hell if your faith is in your church affiliation. I don't care if you're a Nazarene or a Baptist or a Methodist, if you belong to the Assembly of God, your religion will damn you to hell if you think the money that you give is going to save you, or the deeds that you do, or the rules, or the rights, or the regulations that you keep. Because I tell you what, in John 3, 3, Nicodemus was thinking that way. His religion had him believing a lie. And Jesus told him as such. Jesus flat out told him that he was lost to this world, and the only way for him to experience the kingdom of God in his life was to be born again. 
He had to have a, a spiritual rebirth. He had to turn away from a religion based on man's criteria. And instead, he had to have a personal, internal, eternal relationship with God. Religion will destroy you because religion right now today, just as it was when Paul wrote this letter, it'll blind you, it'll deceive you, and it will keep you from his saving grace. You know, it's been said that the most difficult people to reach with the gospel are not the notoriously wicked. But it's the outwardly religious. I mean, think about it. It was the religious people, it was the religious crowd that opposed Jesus. And that eventually led to his crucifixion. They were blind. They were blind to their own sin of pride and self-righteousness. And so their religion did not serve to save them. But their religion was condemning them. Again, a belief in a religious system whether it be a church, a denomination of a church, a rite or a ritual, cannot save a man from his sin. Only a rebirth. Just as Jesus reminded Nicodemus. Jesus said to Nicodemus, he says, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus knew scripture better than any of us right off the top of his head. Can't figure that one out. I think Jesus was referring to Ezekiel 36, 25. Ezekiel 36, 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness, from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart I'll put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Saving relationship with God's about a new life. It's about a pure life, a redeemed life. It's about a new beginning. Paul here in Philippians is telling you and I to leave all that junk behind. Both the sinful and painful past and all that stuff that we used to take pride in. Maybe some of that stuff we take pride in now, our religion. Paul says leave all that stuff behind. Trust only in Jesus Christ. Be redeemed. Move on. I, you know, I think Paul coined it first. He said, um, I think he coined it before the U.S. Army, um, be all that you can be, right? Give your life over to Christ. So I, I would ask you this morning, do you, do you want a life that satisfies you? Do you have a life that satisfies? Do you want a life where you know you really have meaning? Paul says, leave that old life behind. Strain forward to the life in Christ in which you've been called.
a while back, there was a Disney movie. Some of you may have seen it. It's called The Lion King. And in that movie, there's a point where the young lion Simba's feeling really sorry for himself, feeling sorry for his past mistakes. And the wise old baboon, Rafiki, takes a stick and he hits Simba on the back of the head and Simba yells out, Jeez, what was that for? Rafiki says, ah, it doesn't matter. It's in the past. And Simba says, yeah, but it still hurts. And Rafiki says, oh, yeah, <laughs> past can hurt. But the way I could see it, you can, you can either run from it or you can learn from it. And about that time, Rafiki swings a stick again to hit Simba on the head. But Simba ducks just in time to avoid the stick. And Rafiki kind of looks in his eyes with a little grin on his face. He goes, ah, you see? It's making it pretty simple, guys, but this is a great reminder of that principle. It's something that shouldn't be too difficult for us. Come on, we've all done it. It really hurts to mess up. Man, I wrote something the other day. My life was a mess at one time. I hurt a lot of people. Hurts to mess up, but it's in the past. So we need to learn from it. We need to leave it all behind. God loves us. He's in the spirit of redemption. Following Jesus is life-changing. He constantly turns people's lives around because God is a God of new beginnings. He's a God of transformation. And here's the best news of all. All of that's available to each and every one of us this very day. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you can know him. Just reach out to him in faith. Receive his free gift, forgiveness. Leave the past where it belongs in the past. Your life can be transformed you know, we got to stop hanging on to this life of sin and guilt. Stop hanging on to bad habits. Stop hanging on to these destructive practices that we may have had over the years. You need to agree with Paul. Paul says, one thing I do, one thing I do, leaving what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal of what? Being the person that Christ has called me to be. The person that Christ has called every one of us to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the Apostle Paul. For the word that he gave us through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I just pray that your word would find its play into our hearts. Find its place into our hearts to where we might act upon it. And it might make a difference in our lives. Lord, we love you. We want to honor you. In Christ's name, 
Amen.